0: We started 2017 uh, with that video and with a commitment as a church and as a staff to do everything that we could to help our congregation meaningfully engage with Scripture over the course of the year. But not just over the course of one year, to provide tools and resources and uh, hopefully a framework and a knowledge to be able to engage with Scripture going forward uh, for the rest of your lives. And so uh, we're going to bring that all the way to a close this morning. And I hope that we're able to do a little bit of reflecting, but also some resolving maybe in your own heart, as well as some rejoicing in the truth of Scripture. If you're visiting with us this morning, um, you're catching literally the tail, tail end of a year-long process of walking through the large scope and narrative of Scripture all throughout the course of this year. But where we started the year was with five prayers, and I just want to walk through those this morning. We began the year by praying that God would speak and that His voice would be louder than any of the myriad of voices we might hear in our life and culture and society today. We prayed that God would transform our hearts into the image of Jesus as we interacted with his words, that God would transform our minds uh, with the truth of Scripture, the eternal truth of Scripture, that God would create a hunger in us for more of him, that engaging with Scripture would become a cycle of wanting more of the God who we find and who we meet there in the Bible, and then ultimately that God would lead us to worship, not just singing on Sunday mornings, though we love to do that, but to a lifelong, humble attitude and posture of worship, of responding to God for who He is, for what He's done, and for what He's doing in our lives. And alongside those prayers, as a staff, we put together a resource. And it is by no means perfect. It certainly isn't like the definitive resource for interacting with Scripture. Uh, It's not You know, I I wouldn't even put it in the top 10, Um, and I think we did a pretty good job, but I wouldn't, you know, put it as just one of the greatest things ever. It was just a simple reading plan and some basic information to help us understand what we're reading at any given point in the Bible and why it matters, and with that resource, we began praying that God would use it to lead us to the source of life, and that By engaging with that over the course of the year, God would illuminate the gospel to people, that he would bring healing and freedom and life to people. We believe deeply, to the very core of our being here at LCF, that the Bible is eternally important, that it's endlessly valuable, and that it's universally accessible, that you don't have to have some sort of uh, advanced degree in order to understand the Bible, that if you Uh, can read, or if you can listen, then you can access the truth, the eternal truth of the Bible. And we believe that the Bible tells us one story, one factual story, and it's the story of God redeeming humanity from sin, the story of God's glory in sending His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to live and die and resurrect and ascend on behalf of humanity. If you've been here with us over the course of the year, then hopefully you've walked through that story along with us. Genesis all the way to Revelation. But hopefully you've done more than just do that here on Sunday mornings. Hopefully you've had the opportunity to do that in your own time of reading and studying God's Word. If you're in a small group, hopefully your small group was able to walk through that. And if you're a parent, hopefully you're able to engage with your children in the midst of that. And I hope what we've seen as a church and as individuals is that that story... God redeeming humanity from sin, is indeed very glorious. I want to end the year where we began it, and that was in Psalm 119. In fact, I just want us to look at one verse in Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 25 says, My life is down in the dust. Give me life through your word. Other translations render it. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. There are two words used in that verse that only get paired up one other time in all of scripture. They are the words for dust, the Hebrew word for dust, which is afar, A-F-A-R, and the Hebrew word for life, which is high, C-H-A-Y. Dust and life. They only get used together one other time. And in order to unpack that and to see it we actually have to go all the way back to the very beginning and this is going to be a little bit different than maybe a typical sermon on a Sunday morning here if you're someone who really likes to take notes I'm going to encourage you to just listen Um, we're going to walk through the story of God redeeming humanity from sin and we're going to do it strictly out of the words of scripture themselves you see, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was hovering, or covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And then after a number of days of creating everything that we see in the physical world around us, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. He will rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God made man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them, male and female. And Genesis chapter 2 tells us that this is the way that it happened that the Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. And the man became a living being. Afar, And high, used only two times together in one verse in all of Scripture. From dust came life, but it took the breath of the Lord. By the power of the Word of God, all of creation, including humanity, springs into existence. And just so we're very clear on who exactly is present at the beginning, this is from John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created by Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. He was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. And when all of His creating was done, God saw all that He had made, and it was very good indeed. And now there was a particular way that the creation, namely the chief of all creation, humanity, was supposed to function in relation to God. Genesis says this, And the Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. And just as is the case for us today, even when the Lord speaks the most clearly, the voice of Satan is always ever present. And Genesis 3 tells us that the serpent said to the woman, No, you will not die. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and desirable for gaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it and also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Romans provides the commentary this way. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man birds, animals, and reptiles. And therefore God delivered them over in the desires of their heart to impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what had been created instead of the Creator who was forever praised. And Genesis continues, that the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And God said to the serpent, I will put hostility between you and the woman and your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And thus, sin entered into the world. And with it, the consequence that God had promised. You will certainly die. And as humanity multiplied on the earth, the condition of sin was and is ever present in the hearts and lives of all of humanity from that moment forward. And what began with God breathing life into the dust now has the certain guarantee that that very life will return to dust. In the words of Solomon, Ecclesiastes 3 All come from dust, and all return to it. Unless, of course, the Lord brings life. And the bringing of that life began with a promise. The Lord said to a man named Abram, Go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. He took him outside and said, look at the sky and count the stars if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. And Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac's sons were Esau and Israel, And the Lord brought Israel up from the land of Egypt and delivered them from the house of Egypt. And thus begins a period of waiting. Waiting for the Lord's promised blessing to the nations of the earth through the offspring of Abraham. And it sets into motion the reality of the story of the Old Testament, which is a story of brokenness and sin, a clear depiction of humanity's continual rebellion against a God who is overwhelmingly good. Psalm 78 is maybe one of the best Summaries of that story. It says this. They, humanity, did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by His law. They forgot what He had done, the wondrous works that He had shown them. They would begin to seek Him. They repented and searched for God. They remembered that God was their rock, the Most High God, their Redeemer. But they deceived Him with their mouths. They lied to Him with their tongues. Their hearts were insincere toward Him. And yet the perpetual posture of the Lord remains Unswerving. This is how Psalm 78 finishes. When he heard their cry, he took note of their distress, remembered his covenant with them, and relented according to the abundance of his unfailing love. He was compassionate and atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He often turned his anger aside and did not unleash all of his wrath. And so at every turn, God acts on behalf of Israel, on behalf of humanity. Judges chapter 2 says that the Lord raised up judges who saved them from the power of their marauders, but they did not listen to their judges. Instead, they prostituted themselves with other gods, bowing down to them. They quickly turned away from the way of their fathers who had walked in obedience to the Lord's commands. And though God was to be the king of the Israelite people, he relented to their cry for a human king to rule over them, just as the nations around them had. And as the people of Israel run headlong into their own dust and destruction, the Lord patiently longs for them. To return to him. Jeremiah 3 says it this way Have you seen what unfaithful Israel has done? She's ascended every high hill and gone under every green tree to prostitute herself to other gods there. And I thought, after she has done all these things, surely she will return to me. But she did not. And we're tempted to read the account of Israel's faithlessness and think to ourselves, how could they do this in the face of God's goodness? But we're not any better off. In fact, Romans 3 says that very clearly. In Romans 3, Paul says, what then? Are we any better? No, not at all. If we have already charged that both Jews and Gentiles are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And yet God's promise of life in the midst of the brokenness remains. And it's reiterated and held out throughout the story of Israel's unfaithfulness. Again from Jeremiah, this time from chapter 31. Behold, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with Israel. This is the covenant I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my teaching within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. They will know me from the least to the greatest. This is the Lord's declaration. For I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. In Ezekiel, Therefore say to the house of Israel, this is what the Lord God says. It is not for your sake that I will act, O house of Israel, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations. I will honor the holiness of my great name. The nations will know that I am the Lord when I demonstrate my holiness through you in their sight. For I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries, and I will bring you into your own land. And I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. The Lord's continual promise is that he will take our dust and give it life. And littered throughout the historical account of the people of Israel, all throughout their triumphs and failures are prophecies about exactly how that life would come. From Isaiah chapter 7, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name Him Emmanuel. From chapter 9, For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be upon His shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. We're not only told that He will come and how He will come, but also what His life and existence will look like. Listen to the words of Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him, but he was despised and rejected by men. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sickness. He carried our pains. We in turn regard him as stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. He was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. The punishment for peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep silent before her shears, he did not open his mouth. For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck down because of my people's rebellion. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was with a rich man at his death because he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, he will see his seed. He will prolong his days, and by his hand the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. After his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will carry their iniquities. Therefore I will give him the many as a portion, and he will receive the mighty as a spoil, because he willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. And then a couple thousand years ago, in the dead of night, in a town called Bethlehem to a virgin mother named Mary, a child was born. And an angel declared it with great rejoicing, saying, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. And that child would grow up, live the life foretold about him, and make unbelievable claims about himself. Maybe the boldest of which is found in John fourteen six: I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He encourages us to come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take, your yoke, or take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. John, one of his disciples, would later write that the one who has the Son has life, but the one who does not have the Son does not have life. Dust arrived for humanity through sin and death, and yet life arrives through the giving of the Son. But bringing life to us required that He give His life for us. From Luke 23, Pilate called together the chief priests, the leaders, and the people, and he said to them, You have brought me this man as one who misleads the people, but in fact, after examining him in your presence, I have found no grounds to charge this man with those things you accuse him of. Neither has Herod, because he sent him back to us. Clearly he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will have him whipped and then release him. But they all cried out together, Take this man away and release Barabbas to us. He had been thrown into prison for a rebellion that had taken place in the city and for murder. But wanting to release Jesus, Pilate addressed them again. But they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! And two others... Criminals were also led away to be executed with him. When they arrived at the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots, and the people stood watching, and even the leaders were scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. And an inscription hung above his head. This is the king of the Jews. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three, because the sun's light failed. Then the curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle, and Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. And saying this, he breathed his last. And on the third day after Joseph of Arimathea took Jesus' body and buried it in a sealed and guarded tomb, Luke 24 records this on the first day of the week very early in the morning they came to the tomb bringing the spices they had purchased they found the stone rolled away from the tomb and they went in but they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus while they were perplexed about this suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling white clothes so the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground why are you looking for the living among the dead they asked he is not here He is risen. And thus, through the power of the resurrection of the Son of God, the hold of sin and death were defeated. And life came through the Son. And having defeated sin and death, Jesus ascends into heaven. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 tells us the scene that long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by giving His Son. God has appointed Him heir of all things and made the universe through Him. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Purification from sin, the gift of life, is by grace through faith. It comes to us through faith, just as it came to Abraham. Abraham. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not of yourself. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. And the beauty is that this salvation came into the middle of our sin, literally into our dust. Ephesians 2 says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and our thoughts, and were by nature children under wrath. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in sin. Romans 5, for while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. But it goes on because having been given Christ as the payment for our sin, we give ourselves to Christ to be used by him. 2 Corinthians 5 says, for the love of God compels us, Since we have reached this conclusion, if one died, then all have died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. Everything is from God who is reconciled to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf. In the words of Jesus in Matthew 28, We go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that He has commanded. Why? Because of the promise made to Abraham. Because of the redeeming, forgiving, glory-displaying work of Jesus Christ. Because of the love of God displayed in the giving of His Son. We live a life to make the glory of God known. Why? Because of the promise of Revelation 5, 9, that Jesus purchased people for God by his blood from every tribe and every language and every nation and every tongue. And because he's coming again. 1 Thessalonians 4 said, For the Lord himself will descend with with a shout. The very same Jesus that is seated next to the throne of God in the glory of heaven, is going to stand up and come again. And Revelation 19 describes it this way. Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and he judges and makes war with justice. His eyes are like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies of heaven followed him on white horses, wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepress with the fierce anger of God the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and one on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where he will be tormented day and night forever and ever in death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. And then I saw heaven, our new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away and the sea was no more. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. And he also said, "Write, because these words are faithful and true. And then he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. And the one who conquers will inherit these things. And he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. One story. From Genesis to Revelation. The glory of God in redeeming humanity from sin. It begins with Christ. And the Father and the Spirit creating all things. It's marked by the sinfulness of humanity throughout the middle. It reaches a high point when Jesus comes back to give his life for the sin of all humanity. And it's going to reach its finality when Jesus comes back, puts a final end to sin and death, and everything is made new. That's why we pray that the word of God would be louder than any other voice. That he would transform our hearts into the image of Jesus. That God would inform our minds of the eternal truth. That he would create a hunger within us for himself and that he would lead us to worship. The Bible begins with God breathing life into dust. It reaches a climax when God breathes life into the dust of our sin through the life of His Son, and it will conclude when God turns the dust of all the brokenness of this earth. Our God turns to dust all the brokenness of this earth and brings eternal, everlasting life in His presence. Psalm one, nineteen, twenty-five. My life is down in the dust. Give me life according to Your word. May we crave that every day of our lives from this point forward. <laughs> Amen. Hey, grab a seat real quick. I'm going to take just a couple more minutes. I don't want to make you stand the whole time. Um, you might be asking yourself at this, at this point, what, what am I supposed to do next? What comes next? Uh, as, a, as a staff, uh, we long to be a church, not just a like, corporate entity. We long to be a church of people who found themselves, who build themselves on the truth of God's word, which means we're going to continue to press forward at all times in all the things that we do built on the truth of the word. But it also means that as individuals, our biggest encouragement and plea would be keep going, keep going. If The reading plan from the Bible Initiative is something that you found helpful, then just cycle yourself back around and start back over tomorrow morning. Uh, You can get, we've bundled together all four books as one. If you want to pick up a little packet of all four of them, the website is still available if you want to follow the reading plan there. Keep on going. If you don't have the YouVersion Bible app, you can search that in your app store. Um, it has hundreds of reading plans available that are all different scopes that go, you know, the entire Bible in a year, not just the narrative portions like we did. You can find versions that are a couple weeks long or a few months long, or you can find them by topic. Uh, hear, hear me say, I don't really care how you keep reading, just keep reading. Keep engaging with the Word of God. Keep on investing yourself in the truth of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're going to make one commitment that you keep in 2018, let it be that you invest yourself in God's word. Let it be that you spend every single day, like John Piper said, gazing through the window at the glory of God via his word. There really isn't Anything more important that we as a church could encourage you to do, could help you do, could equip you to do. If you absolutely hated the reading plan and the Bible initiative and you say, I need something different. You're not going to offend me. Send me an email. I'll help you find something else. Just keep going in the word of God. I want to close our time this morning uh, with. The final two verses from the book of Jude, and then I want to pray. Jude 24 and 25 say this, Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and make you stand in the presence of his glory, without blemish and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty and power and authority before all time, now and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the factual, historic reality that you did everything necessary to redeem fallen, sinful humanity back into right relationship with you. God, thank you for sending your son to live and die, and resurrect, and ascend on our behalf. Thank you that he is seated at your right hand, interceding on our behalf. And thank you that he will rise from that seat one day, and return here, and make new everything that is broken. God, would we be compelled by the reality of your love for us to share the good news of the message of Christ to every tribe, nation, and tongue on the face of this planet until you take us home again. God, would we be people who immerse ourselves in your word? Not because we think it is your word that's ultimately going to save us, but because we know that it's in your word that we find the one who will. Not because it's your word that we think is ultimately gonna be the thing that changes us, but because we know that it's in your word that we find access to the power that absolutely can. God, would we be people of your word, compelled by your love to share the greatness of your glory to all of your people. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. And then we'll see you uh, next year.